Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to episode number 162 of the Draft Analysts, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Capote, and I'm joined by Tony Pauline, as always. And the story of Week 11 wasn't really what happened on the field. Only number 19, SMU lost among the top 25 teams, but six top 25 teams had games either postponed or canceled this past week due to COVID-19. So far for Week 12, that number is at three with Texas A&M Old Miss, Miami Georgia Tech, and Marshall Charlotte already bagged. Not sure if we're going to lose any more in the next couple of days, but looking at what did happen in the games that were played last week, Kyle Trask stayed hot for Florida with another six touchdowns. Miami held off Virginia Tech, and Indiana blanked Michigan State to continue. Really surprising rise up the rankings. Tony, what's your big takeaway from the past weekend? Uh, Jim Harbaugh is uh... – probably sooner than later going to be the former coach of Michigan. Cause once again, they got pounded by Wisconsin. I uh, just can't seem to beat big teams in the big spots at Michigan. So I think the end is near for uh, Jim Harbaugh out in Michigan. Uh, you know, you, you said that there are three uh, big games. You mentioned the three big games that are can- uh, going to be canceled uh, or, or postponed because of COVID already up to 12 this week. Uh, total games that are going to be uh, postponed or canceled. And it's only Wednesday. There's a, b- a bunch more uh, games that were added uh, to that postponed or canceled. There was a, there's a game tomorrow night that's being canceled. That's the Utah state Wyoming game. UAB's not playing. Uh, they just, uh, I just see that they just canceled the, uh, uh, the Colorado state game. Not, you know, not, not huge, but still for those, uh, for those teams, especially in the Mount West where, those games are going to be canceled. They're not going to be postponed where the big 12, uh, the, the uh, SEC has got some leeway because they started earlier uh, for those, for the conferences that started later, whether it be the mountain West, the PAC 12 or the big 10, uh, there are no postponements. There's just cancellations. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Fingers crossed. I mean, it's just a microcosm of what's going on. I guess the good thing, and I thought about this before we started the podcast, we're seeing all these ki- uh, games canceled. We're taught, we hear about all these positive tests in the school. We have not heard about anybody getting really sick. And if you've not heard about any players, thankfully, being in the hospital or anything like that because they're suffering from terrible symptoms of COVID-19. Uh, so I, I guess if there's a silver lining uh, in this whole craziness, knock on wood, that's been it. And hopefully that, that stays moving forward. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's obviously the infections are high, but as we know, you know, it's a very infectious disease, but the death rate is rather low, especially amongst, you know, college age kids, athletes, especially these people are going to be in, you know, generally much better shape than, you know, the average person of their age. Um, so it's, it's going to be tough and, and hopefully it doesn't happen, as you said, knock on wood for, you know, anything really, really bad to come of it. Um, it's also going to be tough for, as you mentioned, a lot of these conferences that started their season late to really get a lot of games in something, you know, commensurate of even a half season at this point. It's also going to be tough. I mean, to really figure out what the future holds for Jim Harbaugh. What do you think of that, Tony? I I mean, it's not going to be in in, on the college field uh, as a head coach. Cause like I said, I think he's going to get pushed out of Michigan sooner rather than later. 
Uh, and I don't think he's going to be as as hot a commodity at the next level as a lot of people uh, a lot of people think. So, kind of up in the air right now. Now we'll get to this week's show in just a minute. But first, a word from our sponsor. The NFL season, in addition to the college season, is now officially in full swing. And while you may not be at the game this season, this year, unfortunately, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. We have a new leader in the Heisman Trophy race. It's the aforementioned Florida's Kyle Trask, now the favorite to take on the hardware. You can find presumptive number one overall pick Trevor Lawrence, fourth, with odds of three and a half to one. And Kyle Trask is running, uh, his season runs parallel to what we saw from last year's Heisman Trophy winner, Joe Burrow, in the sense that he just plays better and better week in and week out. And he just constantly surprises you with outstanding performances. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. That's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Now this week, Tony and I will go on the record and each pick a player who isn't getting a ton of buzz right now, but we think will be discussed as a potential first-round prospect once draft season really starts to heat up. These types of players tend to fall into two buckets. Obviously, there are exceptions to every rule, but a lot of these guys play for non-Power 5 teams or they're younger players who play premium positions who just haven't gotten that level of hype yet due to the fact that they haven't been playing college football for three to four seasons. We've got one of each for you today. Tony, I know yours is kind of an off-the-board name, really a guy who's not only not getting much buzz, but a guy many of our listeners really probably have never heard of. Yeah, well, you better mark this name down. You better start watching them, all the draft next, because what's going to happen is as we get closer and closer to the draft, you're going to hear the name of Zavin Collins, the linebacker from Tulsa, in the first-round conversation, in the first-round narrative. I think he's got the opportunity to end up being a late first-round choice. He is an absolute game-changer. You know, we talk about, especially in our previews, about these smaller run and chase linebackers uh, that the NFL likes these days. Uh, you know, the Roquan Smiths, those guys that went top 10. Zayvon Collins is more of a throwback. 6'3", 250 pounds, a guy who can run and chase, but a guy who can also force the action up the field. A tremendous athlete. If you followed the game blog last week at Pro Football Network, I was writing about Zayvon Collins, about how good he looked and, and how there's a lot of buzz about him in the scouting community. And then what does he do? Literally five minutes after I put up that post, he intercepts a pass to seal the game uh, for Tulsa last week in a comeback win. I mean, he is basically a three-down, forceful linebacker that you can line up in a 4-3 on the strong side, in a 3-4 standing over tackle. And like you said, a lot of people don't even know who, who Zayvon Collins is get to know him. I've been hearing buzz about him for a couple of weeks now. I was actually asked to keep his name a little bit under, uh, not, not to talk about him too much. Uh, he is a redshirt junior. He is uh, going to enter the draft. And Zayvon Collins is not off the board in the first round come next April. I think he'll be off the board with the first 12 picks of round two. Hopefully whoever asked you to, uh, to keep his name on the, on the hush here isn't listening to the podcast right now. Uh, I, I think the cat's out of the, has been long out of the bag. <laughs> All 
And, and, and the thing is, this is, you know, you, you mentioned uh, about how SMU was the only undefeated team to go down. They went down to Tulsa and it was a comeback win by Tulsa. Uh, and it was David Collins who helped seal that win for Tulsa with his outstanding play. Everything comes full circle on the draft analyst here. My guy, probably someone who's more likely a player you've heard of. We're also going to discuss him a bit later on today's show. And that's Virginia Tech left tackle Christian Darasaw. He's a junior, so he hasn't gotten a ton of hype yet. True junior, not a redshirt junior. But he has all the skills to stick at left tackle in the NFL. Great height and length. Slides out to the edge really nicely. Not a player who's easy to get around. Has very strong hands. When he is has a defender in his grasp, they're not getting away. When he does take a pop from a defender, he quickly reestablishes his base. He's not going to lose much ground, even in a situation where he loses initially. And he's also just a good overall athlete. The Hokies send him in motion a lot more than most left tackles. He's very effective at the second level. He can even get downfield to the third level and steal safeties off against the run. I mean, you don't see that from the most athletic of guards, let alone left tackles. I mean, all the tools are here for Darius to stick at left tackle in the NFL. And if he keeps playing the way that he has this season, which is an improved play from what he did as a sophomore, there could definitely be NFL teams that are intrigued to add a productive left tackle with their first round picks. I mean, you even look at last year, no one thought Austin Jackson was going to go in the first round. I know we talked a little bit differently on the podcast here and he ends up going in the top 15. So there is a demand for guys at his position, especially with this kind of skill set. I absolutely agree. And then, I mean, who are the teams that are likely going to be drafting late in round one? Kansas City Chiefs. They probably would look for an upgrade at left tackle. Seattle Seahawks. They're always looking for an upgrade at left tackle. I mean, a lot of those teams that are going to be drafting late in round one, uh, Green Bay Packers, they just signed their left tackle to a huge deal. Obviously, that's that's not going to happen. But, uh, you know, Los Angeles Rams, if they're drafting late, they just lost their left tackle. Uh, so those teams late in round one, Always looking for that final piece and left tackle, pure left tackles, which Darisaw is, which Jackson was last year. I was always high on Jackson. He's doing a terrific job for the uh, Miami Dolphins. That is always a priority position, which is why you got to consider Darisaw as a potential late first round pick next April. And a lot of these teams you mentioned have been good for a couple of years, so they haven't picked near the top of the draft and left tackle being a premium spot. They go very early in the draft. I mean, you look, look at where Penny Sewell is going to go in this year's draft. Look at where a lot of the tackles went last year. They go in the top half of the first round. These guys get pushed up. So when you have a good team that picks consistently in the back half to back third of round one, they're not going to have many options. A guy like Darisaw, if he's not going to go in the top half of the first round, I mean, he's just a guy that, you know, a team like you said, you know, a Seattle, a Kansas City, he's a guy that they can really scoop up and, you know, get a player with the upside of a potential top 12 to 15 pick a lot later in the first round. You know, everyone in the media talks about the quarterbacks, the quarterbacks, when it comes to the NFL draft, the quarterbacks, how many quarterbacks, but the longstanding rule forever in NFL war rooms, they want cornerbacks, they want defensive linemen and they want left tackle prospects now. And you got to remember, you know, we're coming into the day and age in the NFL where your, your right tackle has to be oftentimes as athletic as mobile and have the same, not only pass protection skills, but ability to block on the second level. You look at uh, what, what um, uh, what's going on with Philadelphia with, with Lane Johnson. You know, they want that type of guy. And Darisaw is that type of player. Yeah, and I mean, the Eagles with Lane Johnson are a much different offense than the Eagles without Lane Johnson. And I mean, that's one player at a position, as you said, you know, people think quarterback is that one position where 
one player makes all the difference and, and it very well can be, but when you get a player, you know, of the caliber of Lane Johnson, I mean, you know, his absence can absolutely tank an offense, which we've seen several times this season from Philly. Listen, we talk about the New York Jets often on this podcast. It's been a disaster this year for the New York Jets. The one shining light has been the, the first round pick, Mekki Becton at left tackle. He's had some injury problems, when he, but when he's on the field, I mean, that is the guy that they can build around. Absolutely. Now, speaking of Christian Darasaw, his Virginia Tech teammates almost upset Miami. The Hurricanes pulled it out 25-24, thanks to a fourth quarter touchdown pass from De'Eric King to Mark Pope. But the matchup we were watching did include Darasaw against Miami's defensive ends, Quincy Roche and Jalen Phillips. Now, the Hurricanes, unlike a lot of teams we discuss here, do not flip their defensive ends. So it was all Roche against Darasaw. And that was really bad news for Roche in this game. I mean, he was physically dominated by Darashaw. He's not athletic enough to get around him. He's not big or strong enough to go through him. The only real success that Roche had came against tight ends and other linemen that were not named Christian Darasaw. On the other side, though, Jalen Phillips had an absolute monster game. Eight tackles, four and a half for loss, two and a half sacks, and he just won in all facets. He showed speed and athleticism to get to the edge, added a nice rip move to create separation as well, showed some swims and counters to beat blocks inside, pops offensive linemen with really strong hands, pushes them back, creates separation between him and the blockers, closes quickly to the quarterback once he's got a free shot. Really a game-changing type of performance here for Phillips, continuing a breakout season for a guy who might have just been a rotational player if it weren't for Gregory Rousseau opting out, as crazy as that sounds. Yeah, I mean, he got the opportunity and he's stepping up and a lot of people in the league like him. I had a conversation with somebody earlier this week and they, they talked about how he's making the most of the opportunity. He's not Rousseau, but he's a darn good uh, darn good edge rusher. If you look at my recent rankings uh, at Pro Football Network, I have him graded as a second-day pick. And Quincy Roche, that's the, that's the problem with Quincy Roche. He's a good football player, but he's just not a real good athlete. He's got average size. He's got average speed. He gets the most from his ability, but when he goes up against someone who is more physically talented than him, more athletic than him, more agile than him, he's going to struggle, as he did Saturday against uh, Darasaw. Uh, it was a great game to watch. I mean, it was a real fun game to watch uh, with Miami having to play catch-up. Uh, and, you know, the, the players from Miami, you mentioned Phillips, even the quarterback played very well. D. Wiggins, uh, the receiver who I mentioned uh, during the, the uh, game day blog, it seems that he's starting to come of age. He's got some big time ability, but I think when you're looking at it from a pro prospect matchup, you have to like what you saw from Darasaw. Uh, again, the agility, the ability and pass protection, and even the fundamentals does a great job bending his knees and getting leverage on opponents and using his hands. Now moving over to conference USA where Marshall stopped middle Tennessee state 42 to 14. Although this game was actually pretty close for much of the first half quarterback Grant Wells, really continued an impressive freshman season for the herd 336 yards and five touchdowns in this one. And Marshall was really quite pass heavy in this game season high 37 attempts for Grant Wells after six games with a ton of rushes, as we discussed in our preview. And that left just 16 carries for Brendan Knox, who we wanted to see against this middle Tennessee state defense, specifically linebacker DQ Thomas and safety Reed Blankenship. Knox didn't really do much until the early fourth quarter when he broke a couple decent sized runs, just 70 yards on those 16 carries first game under hundred yards since the opener. When he did get the ball though, showed some nice patience as a runner, very quick feet in small spaces, 
did well in blitz pickup as well. Took out Thomas a couple times when Thomas came in blitzing hard, whether it was low, whether it was high. Thomas, though, had 10 tackles in this game, but really struggled to get off blocks overall. A lack of coverage awareness for him at the goal line allowed Marshall to score really what amounted to two easy touchdowns that look a lot like they were directly results of Thomas just not knowing where he needed to be in coverage. Not a great look for a small linebacker who's likely going to have to move to safety to have any sort of NFL future. Blankenship already plays the safety position, had his moments, led the team with 11 tackles, missed a couple in the open field though, protected the deep part of the field well early, but bit on play action a couple of times, allowed himself to get manipulated specifically on one corner route where he moved to cover the seam, gave Wells that little bit of a window that he needed for a big touchdown pass. So overall a mixed bag for Blankenship in this one, but Flashed a bit more to me than Thomas did. Yeah, I, I mean, I think in our matchup, I think Marsh uh, Middle Tennessee won the matchup with the, with the two defenders we were looking at uh, versus Brendan Knox. The problem with Min- Middle Tennessee, if you watch the game at all, they just had no offense. They could not move the ball. They finished the game with 56 yards rushing, and it was Marshall's defense, which has a darn good college defense, that really stepped it up. But as far as uh, you know, Knox was concerned, Middle Tennessee – and DQ Thomas, as well as uh, Reed Blankenship, really stop, uh, stopped him and did a good job of it. Uh, there was a, a portion, a part early in the game where it was, I believe, it was like third and one, and uh, Middle Tennessee stopped uh, stopped Marshall and stopped uh, Brendan Knox on uh, first. Stopped Marshall on third down. It was uh, fourth and under one. They gave it to Brendan Knox and they stopped him at the line of scrimmage for a loss. They got the ball back. They just didn't do anything with the ball. You know, that's the problem with DQ Thomas. He's a safety size linebacker on the college level. And he's basically one dimensional. It's a situation where, you know, you're going to have to use him at the next level as a strong safety where he has limited coverage uh, assignments, where he's basically playing up the field or in the box and he's going to have to make his uh, earn his wage on special teams. Blankenship, again, more of a straight line downhill safety. There's a place for those guys. It's it's basically as the eighth or ninth defensive back on the depth chart. But both of those guys are going to have to earn their wage and make their way onto a roster on special teams, specifically coverage units. Uh, you know, I was just surprised. Uh, I thought Knox would have done a little bit better. He is well-liked in the scouting community. I'm hearing some middle day three grades on him, although he's only an underclassman, but he's getting some uh, mention. But the middle Tennessee guys got the better of, Bo- uh, of Knox in this game. And really interesting part about this game as a whole is not only did Marshall come out passing, and if you look at the numbers, middle Tennessee is a much stronger pass defense than they are a rush defense. So that was an interesting game plan. Obviously it worked out. They scored 42 points, but you know, the fact that, Marshall wasn't really able to get much going on the ground. Uh, Their backup running back came in. Um, Evans had a decent sized touchdown run. He actually looked a lot better than Knox had some better burst in this game. Um, But yeah, overall, I mean, Marshall was able to, you know, beat the defense of middle Tennessee at its strength and really wasn't able to assert its own dominance on the ground against, you know, one of the bottom 15 rush defenses in all of FBS football. Yeah. I I don't think it really, really mattered because middle Tennessee was not able to really move the ball. I, I mean, they, the uh, Marshall Thunder, her defense uh, just stopped and, and Marshall seven and all. I mean, Marshall is one of the re- uh, few remaining undefeated uh, schools uh, in the nation right now. Now it's time to look ahead to week 12 of the college football season. And we'll start with the return of former Heisman trophy favorite, Trevor Lawrence from his bout with COVID-19. His Clemson Tigers are massive favorites over Florida state in his return but it's still an intriguing matchup. 
along with wide receiver Amari Rogers against cornerback Asante Samuel Jr. and safety Hamza Nasirildin. Now Nasirildin just returned last weekend from last year's torn ACL. Samuel lacks height at the cornerback position, but he's very physical, always around the ball, good ball skills as well. He's going to be a really nice challenge for Amari Rogers, who's also short, but weighs in over 200 pounds, already has set career highs this year with 720 receiving yards and six touchdowns, and is not just a product of Trevor Lawrence either. The last two games without Lawrence, 15 catches for 200 yards and one touchdown against good competition, including 134 yards in the loss to Notre Dame. Obviously not as highly regarded as Samuel in the scouting community, but this means nothing more than the fact that this is going to be a big opportunity for Rodgers to show out against the potential NFL corner. Yeah, I mean, it's been a disaster at Florida State this year. Uh, just this week, Tamarian Terry, the uh, receiver, who was not having a good year, has left the program. Marvin Wilson's gone for the year. I mean, really, the only bright spot has been Asante Samuel, who I think has really improved this game. A third-year junior, I have him graded as a third-rounder. Scouts who grade underclassmen have him graded as a mid-third-rounder. I think he's played very well. As you said, a little bit of a smaller guy, more of a nickelback dimeback. But he's athletic, he's fast, and he's got real good ball skills. Now, Zrilla Dean is a guy who's never really excited me. I mean, there were some scouts that graded, graded him as a second-rounder coming into the season. I have him more as a mid-fourth rounder. He's good at what he does, and he's a tough player who's very good defending the run. He's smart, and he's instinctive, but he's not very quick. He's not very fast. He's not very sudden. He's kind of a loper. He's a four-six guy that comes off of a uh, comes off of a knee injury now. You know, he's more of your traditional strong safety type. With that frame, you may even want to put ten or fifteen pounds on him and change him into a you know a smaller linebacker, if you will, a one-gap type linebacker, which I think may be his ultimate NFL position. I, I just think uh, Nasrilladine, you know, when he's on the field this week, is going to struggle against Trevor Lawrence. I think it's going to be a good matchup between. Asante Samuel and Amari Rogers. Uh, Rogers is all over the place on draft boards. I have him as a fourth rounder. There are some scouts that have him as early as the fourth round. And then there are other scouts that have him as a priority free agent. He's a small guy. And the big question about Rogers is speed. Some people tell me he's a four, six guy. Some people tell me he's a low four five guy. He's not, he's not a breakaway threat on the field. He's a solid pass catcher. Who's also short not undersized. He goes five, eight and a half, about 202 pounds. So he's got a solid build, but he's short. But I mean, he's basically when Justin Roger, uh, Justin Ross went down with the injury, he was the number one guy, the number one receiver, and he's done a good job. And like you said, it's not only, he's not only done a good job when Trevor Lawrence was on the field, when Lawrence was off the field, he basically stepped up his game. The thing with Rogers is where is he drafted at the next level? Or when is he drafted the next level? And where does he fit? Is he a slot receiver? Is he your number four receiver, number five receiver? You know, are you going to use him to return kicks? I think the, uh, the matchup against Asante Samuel on Saturday is going to be a good one because we'll be able to gauge Rogers' speed. We know Samuel's fast. If Rogers is able to get behind Samuel at times, we'll know he's got next level speed. If it's a situation where he's always battling Samuel because he can't get any separation, that's going to be a red flag. And moving to the Big Ten, we mentioned Indiana earlier. And with any surprise teams, especially from big conferences, generally come some surprise NFL draft prospects. And this year, that player, well, one of many players for Indiana, 
is wide receiver Ty Freifogel. Career high four touchdown catches in just four games so far in 2020. He's been especially hot lately. Seven catches for 142 yards and a touchdown against Michigan. 11 catches for 200 yards and two touchdowns against Michigan State this past weekend. He's not going to have any more fun against the state of Michigan, though, with Ohio State up next and stud cornerback Sean Wade in waiting. Wade, basically a first-round lock, size, athleticism, ball skills, the entire package. Typical Ohio State corner in the sense that they just keep churning out star corners. Fry Fogel has nice size himself, very reliable receiver, shows some juice after the catch as well, can break tackles with the ball in his hands. But Wade is obviously going to be a very unique challenge for Fry Fogel. On the other side of the Indiana offense is Wap Fillior, also 24 catches this year. Fewer big plays, though. Definitely a smaller receiver compared to Fry Fogel, but likely as a result, won't see a ton of Wade. Might it be his turn this week, Tony? Uh, I mean, it's going to be a good matchup, but, uh, you know, Freifogel not only has been producing, he's been coming up in big spots uh, for Indiana. If you watch that one touchdown pass or a touchdown reception, he actually caught it five yards short of the goal line. And then he basically carried three Michigan State defenders into the end zone for the touchdown. You know, it's funny. You said that Sean Wade is a lock as a first rounder. I have him graded as a first rounder. There are a lot of people on the outside that grade him as a first rounder. Coming into, into the season, though, there were scouts who actually who graded underclassmen because uh, Wade is a fourth-year junior who graded him as a late third-round pick. I had heard rumblings about this. And then when I spoke to scouts, they said, yeah, late third round. I think part of the issue is, remember, he was never a starter uh, at Ohio State last year. You had, they had a coot in Arnett who was, star- uh, was starting. Wade came in. I thought he did a great job as a nickelback kind of uh, changed that whole semifinal game against Clemson on a dime when he got called for that late hit penalty uh, when, he was, when he was tossed from the game, when he uh, led with his helmet into, uh, into Trevor Lawrence. Uh, he's got a good amount of upside. I think he did the right thing by coming back and playing this year because if he plays well, he will affirm himself as a first-round pick. So is he a first-round lock? I would agree with that, but not everybody in the scouting community thinks that thinks so. This is going to be a terrific matchup. I mean, Indiana is playing terrific football. They are overmatched by in the Ohio State game. There's no doubt about it. But there's something going on in Indiana. Uh, I've always liked Freifogel. I had him graded as a late round pick. Scouts that I spoke with had him on the fringe of being a between a priority free agent and an undrafted free agent. He's one of those guys. Decent size, six foot, one half inch, 207 pounds, but he's not fast. You know, he struggles to get separation, but he constantly catches the ball where Phil Yor was graded as early as a fifth round pick by scouts because he's got that speed. He's got that ability to separate. I have him neck and neck right now. I have Fry Fogel uh, rated just a little bit ahead of Phil Yor because I like the way Fry Fogel's been playing. I like the way he played last year as well, but I think it's going to be a great matchup for Wade. Against Freifogel, he's going to be going up against a bigger, stronger receiver. And against Fillior, he's going to be going up against a guy that can break it deep. So it's going to be a good compare and contrast style with the two receivers when they're matched up against Sean Wade. And it's going to be a game that's got great national importance. And we'll see if Fillior can get deep because he really hasn't so far this season, despite that speed, uh, which is kind of surprising. I mean, Freifogel's the guy, you know, getting all the yards in that offense. But we'll see if this could be an opportunity for uh, for Fillior to maybe just bust a big play here uh, that he hasn't been able to do so far this year. 
Yeah, you, you, you know, Fry Foggle's the, the hot receiver, so he's getting all the passes thrown his way. Uh, Pinnock's the, uh, the, uh, the quarterback. You've got to remember last year, there was a different quarterback with Peyton Ramsey, so he had something going on with Phil Yor. This year, Pinnock's, who has been a magician at times with the football, he's got it going on with Fry Foggle. It may be just an issue where, you know, uh, Pinnock's and the Phil Yor has got, to, has got to connect more and really got to, got to get that chemistry going. Now we'll wrap up this week's show by heading out to the Mountain West where Nevada quarterback Carson Strong and wide receiver Romeo Dubes will test out their high-level connection in 2020 against a San Diego State secondary that boasts a potential late-round corner in Darren Hall and a pair of talented safeties in Tariq Thompson and Dwayne Johnson. Dubes threw four games this season, 31 catches, 645 yards, and eight touchdowns. Over 40% of Strong's passing yards and two-thirds of his touchdowns have gone to Dubes so far. Now, Dubes has decent size, good speed, quickness to separate. Obviously, Strong is a guy, if you listen to our Mountain West preview over the summer, we discussed him as a potential first-rounder down the line. He's already thrown more touchdown passes this season than he did last year. His breakout is really helping fuel Dubes' breakout as well. Hall on the outside has the size to match Dubes for the Aztecs, a good athlete in his own right. Thompson at safety is a good football player but average size and athleticism. It's hard to say that this secondary can stop Nevada, but maybe it can at the very least contain this explosive Wolfpack offense a little. I mean, listen, San Diego state always has good defensive backs, good college defensive backs that everyone swoons over. And then they do nothing in the NFL. I could go through the list of names. Who was the cornerback last year that uh, had like 14 pass defenses and uh, five or uh, four or five uh, interceptions. Luke Barku. There you go. There you go. And then went to the Shrine game and just got beaten like a drum because he was slow. First thing is this. Here is the cool thing about this game. I was I spoke with someone last week who I, you know, basically gushed about Carson Strong uh, to over the summer. This is a West Coast guy. And he had said, you know, when you talk to scouts and you mention Carson Strong, they kind of shrug, shrug their shoulders. They don't know who he is. Well, guess what? They're going to get the opportunity to find out who Carson Strong is this week because this is a nationally televised game on CBS. When all the SEC games were postponed because of COVID, CBS slipped this in as their national uh, Saturday afternoon game. So Carson Strong is going to get some major publicity. And I guarantee you, uh, come Sunday and Monday, people Carson Strong is going to be a household name because I expect him to throw up an, uh, to put up another 300-plus passing yard game with three or four touchdowns. Uh, I, I mean, if you watch the guy, the guy's got an arm of dynamite. He just tosses the ball downfield, and it gets down there with speed. You mentioned Dubes. Dubes is a guy who I had graded as a fourth-round pick coming into the season. Uh, I graded Dubes higher than his senior teammate, Elijah Cooks, who was graded by scout, some scouts as a six-round pick. The issue with Dubes is he's not a speedster. Carson Strong has no real deep threat at his disposal. Uh, but he's got all the physical skills. He's showing a lot of improvement. I think this is a step up. Tariq Thompson is a guy who I have him graded as a seventh rounder. He, the, the variety of opinion on uh, Tariq Thompson in the scouting community is anywhere from mid-fourth round to priority free agent. So that kind of tells you something uh, about him. Uh, Dwayne Johnson is a guy who I like. Again, I have him graded as a free agent. A lot of scouts do. Some of the scouts have him great as a six-rounder. Johnson, it's a situation where he's a good football player. He's got good size, 
but he's got more linebacker speed than he does uh, defensive back speed. Uh, so this is going to be a great matchup in the national spotlight. And I think a lot of people are going to quickly come to know the name of Carson Strong, who, as Chris said, we spoke about back in the summer and a guy who I think has got first round potential for the 2022 draft. And that's it for the 162nd episode of the Draft Analyst presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll be back next week with more college football and NFL draft talk. But until then, on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.